will fix you. Hello, and welcome to We Will Fix You, the podcast that absolutely categorically swear on our lives did not start that rumour about how you got conjunctivitis. We didn't even mention the lemur. No. Unmentionably with me this evening, Mr. Dave Convery, the inventor of jam. Jam! Take that, strawberries. I am Roger Hart, who got very confused and shot the deputy first. And rounding us off, Mr. H.J. Doom, who is currently studying for a master's degree in tautology at the Global World Institute. Hello. If you would like to ask questions of these luminaries, you can write to us at wewillfixyoushow at gmail.com or on the internet at hauntedphonograph.com. One person this week has written to us already, and they have a question that I shall now read to you. I like things. Sometimes the things I like become popular. But... After a certain point, repeated exposure to things almost always seems to make me like them less. How do I compromise between wanting to continue liking things and not wanting to be a gatekeepery prick? Yours sincerely, Rick Moranis out of Ghostbusters. But not actually him, it's just a clever pop culture reference, he's probably got his own things going on. Well, how shall we help our very long-named friend? Mr. Convery. So I can sympathise deeply with this. So, a long time ago, I used to be deeply into zombie films um, and zombie films used to be this weird little subset of horror movies which weren't especially popular at the time either they were this sort of crude vestigial nub of horror which had sort of devolved into saw films at the time and there were a couple of socially important zombie films but most of it was just weird or crap and had only persisted because it had like some little something that, that, that kept in the consciousness of like 10 people. But then a couple of things happened. One, The Zombie Survival Guide by Max Brooks came out and this book was insanely popular. I and remember then, that in bookshops. It yeah. was people that would never have bought this shit just, yeah. Suddenly started going for it. Weird. And then The Walking Dead comic started. And that was very, very popular as well. And both of them are, you know, they're fine. If you like those sorts of things, they're actually fine. They're not bad things per se, but their popularity spawned cottage industry of zombie bullshit that persists to this day. You know, Walking Dead is now a primetime TV show that isn't very good. And... Suddenly, it wasn't the weird kids that were making zombie stuff or interested in zombie stuff. It was massive corporations and everything that was there was 
suddenly homogenized pap and not like a weird film about zombie monks in an Italian vineyard. That's a real one, isn't it? It's like a series of five. Oh, God. The Blind Dead series. That one's called uh, The Grapes of Death in yeah. Italian. Yeah. 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 So anyway, the ubiquity makes it much harder to enjoy the thing that that I once did because now it's you know it's it's not my thing it's a commodity now right it's not so it wasn't interesting anymore the joy was gone except it wasn't was it because all of the stuff that I already liked was still there it hasn't gone away it's still as objectively good or bad as it ever was other people's enjoyment of or interest in it does not actually affect me in any way shape or form i was just being a petulant child so if you don't want to be a gatekeeper and you don't want to be put off by other people's enjoyment of the thing that you like don't just don't what other people like and don't like has absolutely no bearing on the value or pleasure you derive from those things not at all there you go you're free free the other thing is the psychological component whereby overfamiliarity with something breeds contempt. I can't do anything about that. That's, that's being human. You will gradually get bored of things. The good news is there's other stuff to like. Just, just like other stuff. Just stay engaged and like things. It's nice to like things. And those things can change. I mean, this is the point at which I normally do my usual shtick about cognitive fluency, but... Mr. Convery is right. You you do develop a, a degree of... Well, it's interesting, actually. The more exposure you have to something, the more cognitively fluent it becomes, and <laughs> it turns out I'm actually doing my shtick. Um, and it, it, you, you can build contempt for it, but you also find yourself being a bit more predisposed towards it sometimes. So, And you find it easier to parse. And things that are presented in a less fluent way can kind of jar you out of it and make you think about it. So what, one, one thing I would add on to that is consider subtle inflections on the things you like once they've become overexposed. Um, seek out particular subgenres or things that are related and see if that'll kind of shock you out of the apathy or inertia a little. Now, um, <clears throat> My own suggestion is is, is a little different. Um, have you considered liking things that will never be popular? I'm not talking about competitive public goat fucking or Jacob Rees-Mogg. No, actual things in actual genres that will garner so little public appeal as to never really trouble you with this populist malaise. Things that are either too beige or too fraught or too peculiar. Um, I've got a couple of illustrative examples. Sports. Many people like sports. And occasionally some lesser known ones become popular. Um, have you come across Kabaddi, for example? Which um, is sort of like a weird game of tag played while mumbling and dressed in your pants. Um, now, now, I'm not suggesting you become a fan of this because no one's heard of it. It's huge in Asia. Um, if you find yourself, um, but, it, but it pops up as, as, as an occasional pop culture reference in, in the West. Um, if, if, you went to, um, if you went to India in particular, you would be hip deep in fans and then disappointed all over again. Uh, but you could sort of look at that and see what other people that, that enjoy it in the West are looking at and use that to kind of do a sort of 
build your own recommender algorithm for getting away from the mainstream. Find someone like Skibadi. What else do they like? Find what does their friend like. Get get as far away as you can from that. My uh, housemates at university were into Kabaddi. Um, so I can already tell you the things that they're into are caving, casual sex, and ketamine. Those are all good choices. Um, you could even combine them, um, so long as you're keeping an eye on the tide tables and any possible rising water. Look for alternative things that approximate. For example, um, Roller Derby. Off the back of the film Whippet and some comics and things, it got a bit popular a few years ago, so people know about it now. But your local Roller Derby League probably... Proximate things, look for proximate things. Your local ro Roller Derby League probably has, also in its same space, a bike polo club. Uh, tosses in moustaches, whacking balls while on fixies and holding croquet mallets, uh, untroubled by anyone remotely wanting to watch them. You can get properly into that, and it's got tactical elements and things. It's actually quite interesting. It's just no one's ever going to care. Music. This is hard because anything with multiple genres is hard, but, you know, early music, um, the preserve of precocious chin strokers and working academics. Um, every now and then, Gregorian chants or random shite played on an ocarina that some monks made out of sheep, a sheep's nutsack will get an occasional flicker of recognition outside these academic circles. But the genre, again, take a few hops, the genre has spawned a modern trend for neo-medieval music. Uh, this can be unfortunately popular in Germany, so this might not suit your purposes. Um, but think punks with bagpipes and tattoos. If that doesn't appeal, or, or indeed if it appeals too much, uh, consider some kind of fusion klezmer, or chap hop, or anything that really heavily leans on a harpsichord, frankly. No one's ever going to like that. Uh, TVs and movies are harder still. Pop culture is the dog that eats its own feces. B-movies enjoy renaissances. There's a wash of So Bad It's Good cod's wallop that basically covers up people's discomfort at liking anything at all in front of their judgmental friends. So, you know, you, you, could, you could claim a sincere affection for Plan 9 from Outer Space or Frankenhooker, but you'll be in poser territory before you know it. Damn, son. Instead, go for something that, um, while it is going to have fans, nobody would own up to liking. So there's no community, there's no pressure, there's no likelihood to encounter it. Something where everyone involved is so like, fundamentally repressed and slathered in sickly shame that they just wouldn't want to talk about it. But not something so outright kinky, or, or for that matter illegal, that it could um, either have a frisson of, of, of something unusual or an enjoyably sleazy niche scene. Um, how to find such a thing? What, what could shame people, make, make them feel genuinely hot under the collar with, with alarm, without actually being enjoyable enough to have a fandom? Um, I, I, I know the answer to this question um, from painful personal experience. Um, it, is, it is in fact something called the erotic thriller popular on Channel 5 in the 1990s and early 2000s. Um, if, you, if you ever encountered these... I, I feel bad for you. These were joyless detective thrillers about either a sex therapist who has to solve a murder or a detective who has to go undercover pretending to be a sex therapist. There may have been other plots, but I'm pretty sure there weren't. Um, that sort of over-saxophone over scored, badly written thrillers with appalling lighting normally set in anonymous tower blocks claiming to be Los Angeles, while people sort of nearly had sex in badly lit shadow terribly suggestive. About as erotic as a, as a carry-on film, um, 
but coming at it from an angle of faux seriousness, and so not even the possibility for joy. I mean, you can't really derive joy from a carry-on film, but at least they were trying. And believe me, I've done my time here, I know about this. I was the only person in my house growing up who could program the video recorder, and my dad was a thwarted middle-aged man with a poor sense of boundaries. So I've done my time reading the descriptions of Channel 5 erotic thrillers and looking up the Video Plus codes so that I could program them to record for him. Anyway, these movies are such a joyless failure at everything they attempt, and they're so precision-targeted at people too culturally cowed by actual pornography, but... Yeah, these are never going to find a fan base or, or popular acceptance, and you might be able to find some interest in them. Um, yeah. Oh, and, and food. Food. People get into food. Um, just look up some old Little Chef menus, a franchise so aggressively beige that no one could even form an opinion about it. Mr. H. J. Do. This is an increasingly difficult problem, particularly as you get older. The truth is that for most of us, the manifold indignities of age blunt our ability to enjoy things as we once did. I, for example, will never love anything with the same mindless enthusiasm that I had for He-Man and the Masters of the Universe at age five. Nowadays, the nearest I come to really liking things is being able to sit through them without checking my phone to see if anyone famous I dislike has died. It may be that a problem you think is rooted in things becoming popular is actually rooted in the slow, inevitable withering of your soul. You might feel that this is a bad thing, but actually it isn't. It's just your brain's way of preparing you for death. Part of the reason that the death of a child is such a tragedy is that they, unlike most adults, still have something to live for. This is a kind of emotional variant of the sunk cost fallacy. So the gambler, a thousand pounds in the hole, feels they have to continue gambling because they are in some sense owed a win because of all the money that they've spent. The fact is they are not. The roulette wheel does not care how many bad bets you placed previously. Similarly, you have ploughed time, emotion and money into a thing that you've enjoyed, and this gives you a sense that you are entitled to continue enjoying it forever. Unfortunately, your soul is diseased and rotten and can no longer generate that same emotion that it could when you embarked on this futile journey of liking things. You feel instinctively that you ought to be able to rekindle those wonderful sensations that the thing evoked when you first happened upon it, and you can't. And it doesn't really matter whether the thing you like continues to be amazing or slumps into a depressing decline. Even if it never changes, you will. And familiarity is the bored, alcoholic mother of contempt. If you don't believe me, try looking at your face in the mirror once a day. Like, really scrutinise it and see if the passage of time makes you feel more or less positive about the crumbling ruin staring hopelessly back at you. You can try the same things on your loved ones and chart how your feelings move from obsessive romance to comfortable domesticity to a sense of routine and finally a grim determination to outlive them. It's just how the world works. You will grow old, you will grow jaded, you will become exhausted until finally it's really only the bitterness keeping you alive. You can't change this process, but you can change how you feel about this process. One thing I try is to cultivate a liking for things that were never popular in the first place. I have a particular fondness, for example, for an obscure writer of weird fiction who I'm not going to name in case you spoil him by liking him. Like all the best people, he's safely dead and thus very unlikely to produce new material 
which will force me to confront my own spiritual decline or the changing mores of society. His work is difficult to read, arguably quite dull, and not at all influential except in the most liminal way on a small handful of weird fiction writers. He's essentially the perfect author to enjoy without fear that a studio will suddenly come along and create a line of action figures, a Saturday morning cartoon, and a whole bunch of comics aimed at the widest possible audience. If that doesn't work for you, and you're determined to try and carry on liking the things you already like, however doomed that may be, the second approach is to start writing your own material that more closely adheres to the way you think things should be done. After all, what is fan fiction if it isn't strip mining a fictional universe of everything that appeals to you whilst tossing everything that makes you feel uncomfortable on the slag heap? Enjoy Star Trek but find the social conscience is getting in the way? Well, just write a bunch of Star Trek stories about war and replace all the female characters with middle-aged white men. Have your captain blow up a planet of homosexuals every once in a while. You know, go crazy. The only limit is your own lack of imagination. Be careful though, because if you lack enough imagination, you may end up writing for the Fox Network. Finally, you can try and find that rarest of things, something which you will never stop enjoying, regardless of how many other people enjoy it. Opinion is divided on whether this even exists, but for my money, the thing that gets closest is probably heroin. Your average heroin addict really doesn't care whether there are a million, two million, six million heroin addicts in the world, provided they can still get their fix. They don't care if heroin comes packaged in a Gretchen urn or a Spider-Man lunchbox. They don't care if the heroin has become predictable or derivative, just so long as it keeps getting them high. Heroin, unlike George Lucas, will never let you down. Well, there you have it. The We Will Fix You Pocket Guide to the Liking of Things and the Not Being of a Dickhead About the Liking of Things. We struggled with the title, we'll confess. We will also confess that it is time for us to go. But as we depart, please, oh, please don't leave us without a question. Write to us at wewillfixyoushow at gmail.com.